Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What's up, guys? Welcome into another edition of Bogey Free. I'm your host, Matt Jones. You can find me on Twitter at MattJonesTFR. Uh, and if you caught the episode with Eric earlier in the week, uh, you, this format should be pretty familiar. But I wanted to uh, to pick the brain of uh, some more smart, uh, some more smart golf betting people. And who better to go to than the man known as Smart Golf Bets himself, Mike Miller? Uh, you can check out his site, GreenSquare.golf. Uh, it's sort of like a you know, I, I guess a, a one-stop shop uh, for basically any golf event, any tour uh, that you could possibly think of. Um, so, Mike, thanks for thanks for coming on today. How are we doing? Hey, thanks, Matt. All good. Sitting in the dark out here, so apologies for the uh, lighting effects. Oh no, no worries at all, man. East um, Africa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's what eight around eight o'clock your time right now. Yeah. Yeah, so we I I'm hopping on for a rare afternoon show, uh, and uh, we we're I think you're my first uh, not first international guest, but definitely uh, first non North American guest. We we've had a, a few Canadians on the show before, but uh, but never anybody uh, across any oceans or anything. Oh, I'm very honored. I mean, Canadians are just de facto Americans anyway, aren't they? Whoops. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah I, I it was funny before because I was thinking I was like oh it's my first international guest and then I was like oh no we've had we've had Pat we've had Feinberg on here we've had uh, Eric the other day so uh, why don't you uh, why don't you tell me a little bit more about the site you just launched uh, launched the site this year correct yeah it really uh, just formalized and uh, right. is monetizing what I've done for eight or nine years which is effectively uh, putting out form sheets on any golf uh, that there's betting on. Yeah, and it's uh, you. Uh, we'll we'll dive in a little bit uh, to you know to your uh, your process as we go through this. Um, but just to just to start off, how did you how did you get in into golf? Are you do you consider yourself you know a, a golf fan that bets or a better that uh, you know puts money on golf? Oh, I got into it as an eight year old uh, thanks to my grandfather. He cobbled together a half a dozen clubs cut him down and uh, gave me a little bit of coaching and I was pretty much much hooked uh, from that moment on. Um, and a year or two later, he took me to a, uh, it's like a, they called them the big three, Nicholas Palmer player, mm-hmm. came to New Zealand. So they were playing at his club course in uh, Parapuram Beach in New Zealand. He took me along. I queued for 40 minutes and got Arnie's uh, autograph. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he was like a god at that point. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, I was hooked. 
um, betting, I didn't have a golf bet until 1993. And that also got me hooked in a sense because a friend of mine had a betting account, which was a new thing for us. So I was living in New Zealand. He said, you want me to put a bet on for you? The Masters is coming up. <clears throat> I said, yeah, give me 50 bucks on uh, Bernard Langer. He was paying uh, 50 to 1. And he won, so I turned 50 bucks into 2,500 and thought I was a betting god. But, yeah, I was hooked, uh, I was hooked from that point on. So uh, a player, um, uh, a fan, um, but, but essentially for the past 20 or so years, it's really just been all about betting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people, uh, you know, that, that sort of, uh, you know, stick with this uh, sort of, sort of have a similar story, right? The, whether it's, uh, you know, one, one big hit right in the beginning of your betting career, uh, can definitely, can definitely give you that, give you the bug. And, uh, and it's interesting, you know, if, if that bet goes the other way, you know, do you, do you stick with this or do you say, ah, I just, I, you know, I just blew 50 bucks. Let me, uh, let me not do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, I did spend quite a lot of time betting on horse racing uh, and subsequently betting on uh, on soccer, football. Um, but at the same time, I was working at a fairly senior level or as a consultant to um, gambling businesses. So I saw a lot of stuff from the inside. Right. And um, I was really struggling to make enough money, particularly at soccer, which I did full time for 18 months. I was making about three grand a month back around 2000. But I was working about 16, 18 hours a day to do it. <laughs> so I uh, decided to get a real job for a while and uh, and uh, just bet on golf. And I mean, I guess no, nobody could really argue that that uh, that, that didn't work out uh, pretty pretty well for you so far. Um, so it's you know, talk me through. You know, obviously you have all of these uh, all the stats, um, and you you track. Uh, you track form for uh, an insane amount of of golfers on your site. Um, what I I asked the same question to Eric uh, Patterson in the beginning of the week. So I I always think of you know betters or uh, gamblers in general as like sort of a spectrum, right? You have you have the guys on one side that are just totally one hundred percent numbers based. Um, you know maybe they don't maybe they don't even watch the sport that they're that they're betting on. And then you have the total opposite, you know, the feel guys, the the guys who just watch, don't really pay much attention to any of the numbers. Um, obviously, uh, I think the best bettors probably have a little bit of both in them. Uh, but but how would you describe the way that you, uh, you know, the way that you figure out, like, where, where are you going, uh, you know, for a given bet? Well, I mean, for me, I'm 100% numbers. Um, but probably not the numbers that people would necessarily expect um, because I don't uh, refer to or use uh, shot statistics. Uh, the number for me is uh, is a form number. Um, so in a numerical sense, uh, no shot stats, um, but form. And the secondary reason for that uh, is that form is universally available. It doesn't matter if we're looking at the Sunshine Tour in South Africa or an Asian tour event in Thailand, or a Japanese tour event, whatever. Um, I was looking for a process where I could I could do what I want to do based simply on form. Right. Um, 
And that form is overlaid with some algorithms that I developed over the years um, to adjust for strength of field, uh, for course relevance, uh, and to age the form. So a simple form number from last week, say 22, you know, a guy on the PGA Tour finishes 22nd. For me, that contains, it's profound. It contains the player, um, him, himself, emotionally and physically, which the statistics don't reflect. Right. Uh, it shows all of his shots over four days, um, the course, the weather, and also relative to his 155 uh, opponents. Um, so for better or worse, I've issued the, uh, the statistical track uh, in favour of a method that allows me to work through a golf field uh, where all I need is form. Right. Um, so that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, and I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think we, uh, you know, as a sort of as a community, I think we um, can get a little lost in the sauce uh, and and get a little too micro uh, at times. And typically, that means that you're that you're overthinking things and probably missing the bigger picture, uh, which was a, a similar sort of a similar theme to what uh, Eric was talking about. Eric Patterson was talking about in the beginning of the week. So. It's uh, it, it's definitely nice to hear that. I want to remind you guys about our sponsor, DealDash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction. But every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. So go to DealDash.com, use the offer code ROTOVIZ or DealDash.FM slash ROTOVIZ. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash ROTOVIZ. The other site I want to remind you guys about is Bet Online. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball has finally kicked off this week and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. With the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So let's say, you know, it's it's Monday morning. Uh, the outright market gets posted or, you know, copy and pasted, as as you like to say. Uh, <laughs> um, what what does your process look like from the time that the uh, first ads get posted to when you click on a bet? Okay, well, I should preface my comments by saying that my work on a field starts um, the week before tournament week. 
um, varies by tour, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, um, you can get your hands on the bulk of the final field. Right. Um, so I'm setting that field up in my database as soon as it's available. European tour, maybe uh, Tuesday, the week before. Um, Japan or Korea, maybe Thursday, Friday. Um, all the PGA tours come out Friday afternoon. Right. Uh, so I plug all of those players into my database. Um, and I then refer to two things which we reflect on uh, Green Square, for example. Um, and those are the, the tournament history and the people who have placed in that tournament. Mm -hmm. So I try and just get a mental picture of um, what, uh, what the tournament is all about. You know, if I see guys who have won it, like um, Bryson, DJ, Rory, I'm immediately thinking in my mind, maybe this track uh, uh, needs quality players or maybe it needs long drivers. Um, but I'm just trying to paint a mental picture of the tournament. And then I, uh, I run my software. Excuse me, there's a truck just pulled up outside. No worries. Uh, <clears throat> I run my software on that field and that produces uh, a set of odds. Um, just raw, straight out of the database. Uh, there's a bunch of things that feed into it, obviously form, uh, but also world golf rankings and so on. Um, so that's my raw set of numbers. And then as soon as the markets open, I import one or two sets of bookmaker prices and line them up alongside mine. And then I run through the entire field and try and explain the differences to myself. I rate a guy 40 to 1, the bookmakers have him 80. Are they insane or was I wrong? Um, and it goes both ways. Sometimes I decide in the end that the bookmakers have priced the guy wrong. Uh, sometimes I've decided that uh, my software has been a bit overambitious and I'll tweak the price closer to the market. Um, so in the end, I finish up with... Uh, uh, my own set of prices and uh, in the course of doing that I've narrowed the field down from 156 or 144 uh, down to two or six or 12 players um, and those those players are my focus for the uh, for the betting week ahead if I if I was a fantasy player um, I'd probably be working out salaries instead of um, instead of odds right <clears throat> and probably trying to predict um, uh, ownership levels, um, but for me as a pure better, um, I'm just looking for value in the prices, and I'm looking at. Uh, I don't want to get too technical here, but um, I effectively attach a, a win probability to every player, which is which is sort of what a price is. Right. So if I rate a guy fifty to one and the market is seventy to one, that's about a half a percent difference in probability or the difference between 28 to 1 and 33 to 1, or the difference between 175 to 1 and 1,000 to 1. Um, below that differential, I'm not interested at all. Um, but if I rate a player 33 to 1 and the bookmakers open 66 to 1, um, I'm very interested. Right. So that, that's essentially the process. Uh, I, I do my own prices, and, and I think it's important uh, for serious uh, betters to do that. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's, I, I think that you would probably uh, find a lot of people 
um, generally doing that. I, I have a slightly different process in that I'm, or I, I would imagine it's a little bit of a different process for, uh, you know, for, for the DraftKings stuff, the fantasy DFS side of things. But, um, you know, I, I actually predict what I think their price should be uh, salary wise. So I definitely, uh, I, I like hearing you say that cause that makes me feel like maybe I'm on the right, on the right track here. Um, how, how do you view, uh, I, I didn't throw this on the show sheet, but just hearing you talk about it a little bit, what, where do you sort of like draw the line where, uh, you know, uh, as far as like longer term form, where do you just say, this is no, this is no longer relevant. Is there like a, a strict cutoff or it does it sort of vary? Well, it's written into my software and it doesn't look at anything older than two years. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit like the official world golf rankings in that respect and right. the, the, the form is aged over a two year period. So a, a form data point from one and a half years ago might only count for 15% of the value of a form data point from last week or three weeks ago. Right. Yeah, no, and I think that's important. I think that um, that's that's definitely a difficult balance to strike, right? When you get these guys like the you know the Morikawas and the and the Hovlands and the Wolves of the world that just like burst out onto the scene. Um, have you found that these these young guys that get started uh, like super hot? Have you found that there's um, a bit of a lag where maybe you you aren't able to catch up right away, or is that something that you kind of manually go in and say, oh, you know what, I I know X, Y, and Z about this guy. So I think that I need to, you know, tweak the price that I'm giving them. Um, yeah, it is it is difficult with those guys coming through, but um, the, the results that I record in my database include lower level tours and all right. of the significant amateur events from around the world. So perhaps to some extent, they're not as much of a, uh, a big surprise to me as they would be to just the regular uh, recreational betters. Right. Um, but by the same token, I tend to ignore them completely for quite a number of months in terms of investing my own money. Um, you know, a lot of commentators and so on are looking for the next Tiger Woods and and the next superstar, and these names get bandied around all the time, and their prices are generally a little bit too short as a result. Right. Um, so I just tend to ignore them and just treat them neutrally. If the market is 33 to 1, I'll say to myself, okay, I'll make that guy 33 to 1 in my model and ignore him. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That's, that's something that I've that I've sort of uh, bounced around and, and struggled with. Um, so, yeah, that's it's interesting to, uh, to see these guys just sort of, uh, you know, pop onto the scene, uh, like you said, to, to the more casual fans. Um, and just, you know, just see them like Morikawa winning a couple tournaments right in the beginning of his career uh, seems to set him on a pretty, pretty good trajectory. But who knows, uh, you know, longer term what we'll actually see from him. Um, so you've talked a little bit uh, mostly about outright so far. What um, we can do a little uh, a little experiment here, a little game of, uh, of fuck, marry, kill. So we have head to heads, we have outrights, and we have T20s. Um, and you could you could sort of include, you know, top 10s and top 5s uh, with the top 20s if you'd like. But what a, 
are, are you most interested in outrights and and like do you i don't know do you, do you price out head-to-heads do you, like how do you how do you treat the other markets um outrights is my main interest um because i'm looking uh, i'm looking to try and kill the bookmaker each week um, it's hard to do that with um, even money bets uh, on head-to-head. Um, my software does produce head-to-head prices, but they're just derived from the respective win prices of the players. Um, but as I say, you know, even if I put five of them or ten of them together in a parlay, uh, it's not nearly as attractive to me as backing a winner or having a couple of um, guys at long odds who place um, crossed in a uh, in a double, right. so head to heads I ignore. Um, the only advice I would give to people is um, is if if you're going to invest in that, uh, spend more money on 72 hole head to heads than 18, because if you've done an assessment of the field, uh, the chances are your assessment will play out closer to what you expected over 72 holes, whereas there's so much variance over just 18. Um, you know, I would never have an 18-hole match bet uh, ever, <laughs> <laughs> and and I would never parlay them either. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a lesson that I've definitely learned the hard way in uh, in starting. You know, really getting into the golf betting. Um, I you know I obviously track everything, every bet that I place, and just just watching that that ROI just go down and down and down. <laughs> <laughs> was 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 quite frustrating. So, uh, yeah, I've I've completely given up on on uh, round head to heads and even three balls. Uh, you know, for the round, just it. Maybe there's somebody out there that could figure it out, but I haven't fig- I haven't been able to find a find a way. Um, so what what about you know the the top twenty? You know, you can you can get some decent prices for like top fives and top tens. Um, is that do, do those entice you at all? Um, like, how do you treat that market? Um, it interests me. Um, I don't have enough time each week to to really devote to it. Um, but what I do do occasionally is uh, I have a I have a top ten module in my software, so I occasionally run a top ten market. Um, the the way that bookmakers operate these days is they have um, a lot of automation. Um, and in outright markets, the one where they can really get their asses handed to them is uh, is the outright win market. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's generally going to kill them <clears throat> on place betting because the prices are so much lower, obviously. Right. Um, but what bookmakers tend to do is is take the win price and then apply a little simple algorithm to it to derive their top five, top ten, top twenty, top forty prices. So from my point of view, if their win price is a little bit wrong, um, their place price will be a little bit wrong. Um, And then you overlay that with the fact that there are players who place quite a bit who don't win. Um, Maybe a Tony Finau. Um, There are are a lot of guys like that. He's probably the topical one this week. Yes. Uh, But there there are a lot of guys whose place probability is completely unrelated to their win probability. Um, but we have all these bookmakers uh, just churning out the, the standard vanilla product where those place prices are derived from the win price. So I think there's an angle there. And every now and then I'll go in and I'll, um, I'll double two long shots together for top 20, maybe five to one. 
Right. Um, right. So, you know, you're looking at uh, 25 to $40 back for each dollar invested if they can both place top 20. So you only need to be right twice a year to break even. <clears throat> so that's something I'd like to do more of if I had more time. But for me, it's mainly about uh, outright win betting. Um, my approach to that is sort of a three-pronged. Um, I will uh, I will back some players to win uh, on the betting exchange, Betfair, because I'll generally get a better price than with a bookmaker. Right. Um, I'll back a, a few guys each week um, in a, what's known as a back-to-lay context, where I will back them at... Uh, 200, 300, 500, 1,000 to 1, and look to trade out if they can get on the leaderboard at some point during the tournament. Mm -hmm. So if I can back them at 400 and lay them at 80, then I'm happy to do that. Quintuple my money, gone. Don't worry about whether they win or not. Um, but the, that's probably 25% of my betting. The other 75% is um, each way doubles. And I do that across pretty much every tournament that's available every week, sometimes as many as eight, um, which is the reason for having all of this uh, form database across all tours and all their secondary and tertiary tours as well, is just to try and create that little bit of edge where a player who's coming up <clears throat> might be priced 100 to 1 by the bookmakers and I think uh, he or she may be uh, 40 or 50 to 1 shot. Then I throw all those sorts of players together in cross doubles across three, five, seven, eight tournaments with the each way component paying five places or six or seven or eight, depending on which bookmaker. Um, so using that approach, if I can get two of them to place in a week, uh, that'll pay for three weeks, maybe four weeks worth of bets. And, um, and of course, uh, one or two or three times a year, you get win-win. Uh, and these are all at odds of uh, like 50 to 1 and longer. Uh, so you can really hit the bookies and then they restrict or close your account and you have to find a, another avenue to bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a struggle here as, as the as the United States starts to, uh, you know, legalize this in certain states. Um, it, the the limiting has been has been a. Uh, uh, they they're not shy about limiting accounts for sure. Um, so and we the 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 main difference is like I wish I had I wish we had a book uh, that could that could do each ways. But I, I don't think any of the books that I that I bet uh, actually have that available. Um, but that would that would certainly be nice. So so it seems to me like for for the most part, you you're just splitting your money, uh, splitting your money there. Uh, not really, not really dabbling in any of the head-to-head -head markets, um, or or doing anything like that. Do you ever play, uh, you know, place bets on like the the top, you know, top American or or you know the nationality bets, or do any of those prop type things, or do you even do you not even price those? Uh, it's very rare. I uh, I price the nationality ones when there's a major. Um, uh, where I know there'll be decent liquidity on the betting exchange. Um, but I do that really just so that I can lay bets rather than place bets, if, right. if you can see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a, it's a sideline. It's very much a sideline. 
the, the mainstream thing for me is trying to maintain avenues to bet. I mean, I barely put a bet through an account in my own name for about eight or nine years. Um, and I oh, almost run out of friends and, uh, and relatives. Bet365 even shut down my 80-year-old mother's account a few years ago. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the hardest thing for me is actually getting bets on. And probably when I talk about it publicly like this, it may make it even harder. Um, we should have blurred out your face, you know. <laughs> oh, it's just the pattern, you know. But I'm relying on the fact that most bookmakers never look at their um, sort of parlay multi um, betting. They tend to focus on singles when it comes to analysis. Uh, so you don't come to their attention until you win a large amount of money. And sometimes they let it go, just put it down to chance. Uh, sometimes they'll just shut you down straight away. Um, so what I do is I'll, if I'm doing my each way doubles and I want to do it for $3 a double, I may do that 12 times in units of 25 cents across three or five or seven bookmakers, which is sad, um, but it's the world we live in. Um, and the, the major bookmakers are all run by grey bean counters these days, and most of the bookmakers are frightened to take a stand on anything because they have to defend themselves to the bean counters on Monday. Um, so, and they only want clients who lose money. They don't want clients who win money. Um, so it's very simple for the accountants. <laughs> <laughs> Back when I had some influence on running bookmaking companies, we almost encouraged the really smartest guys to bet with us on every sport so that we could get their knowledge early in the betting cycle, adjust our prices accordingly, and attract money for the other side of the equation from, uh, from our mainstream um, recreational gamblers. Um, but these days, the the books, uh, they really just want to exclude that knowledge and exclude anybody who might have access to it. Yeah, it seems like that would probably be the best way to, you know, to to keep the keep the money coming in, get get some good info and uh, and make the fish pay for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it sounds cruel, but um, the fish who are probably 95 to 97 percent of all gamblers lose money every year anyway. So right. what the hell? Yeah, exactly. They're going to find a way to lose it one way or another. So, Yeah, and if books exclude people who might be a little bit smart, um, that money will find its way back into books, but it'll be anonymous. So right. the books have lost that connection and lost that IP. I think they're stupid. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with you, uh, at least from, you know, from this side of the, the betting counter. Um all right, so let's uh, let's run through a couple. Is is there somebody? Actually, I again, I didn't throw this on the show sheet, but to to what extent are you are you tracking? Um, you know, markets. Are you seeing? Are, are you checking odds? You know, every every day, every twelve hours. Do you have uh, like some sort of uh, system where you're seeing how lines move throughout the week? Um, like how much attention do you pay to that? Um, pretty much none. Okay. I try and um, have all my work done by Monday morning. Uh, then the odds come out. Um, and I'll generally bet soon thereafter, except on the exchange where I'll wait till much closer to tee off when there's more liquidity. 
Right. Um, but really, all the work I do is based on um, trying to get some bets on on a Monday um, before more and more information comes out and more and more market trends become obvious and certain players get their prices cut. Uh, I just want to try and hit as early as possible. I'm a bit hamstrung because I'm wanting to do doubles and some lesser tournaments aren't priced up by the bookmakers until Tuesday. Um, but, you know, do the best I can. But I don't take any notice of uh, market moves probably after Monday. Right. So, so all things being equal, you'd rather you'd rather place a bet, you know, 15 minutes after the, the lines are posted than anything else. Uh, yes, just provided the lines are there for the tournaments that I want to right. uh, bet on, which is the challenge. So quite often I'll double PGA with Euro on Monday and then I'll double PGA with Euro, with Japan, with South Africa, with Asia, with Ladies European on Tuesday. Right. Uh, but a very small stakes, very spread around. Right. So who... Who on tour right now, um, or maybe maybe the answer to this is somebody lesser known, but who do you think has uh, has made you the most money? It's hard to name an individual player because all of my big collects have been doubles, right? And I don't think I don't think any player has been in two of them. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe Poom Saxonson from Thailand, who no one will have ever heard of. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think there's any individual player. All of my best collects have been where I've had four or five dollars worth of a hundred to one with a hundred to one, which is like ten thousand to one odds. So I'm getting back forty-five, fifty, fifty-five thousand. That's happened quite a few times, but a whole bunch of different players. <laughs> Yeah, that, and I actually, I actually tend to remember the losses and the and the bad beats much more than the wins. So yeah, so hit hit us with uh with one of your one of your bad beat stories then. How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thomas Bjorn, um, Open Championship maybe two thousand and three. Um, I had a hundred dollars on him at uh, fifty to one, I think it was. Um, and then I, I went back and had a hundred dollars each way at 50 to one. Um, and then on the betting exchange, he was a bit more, maybe 60. I had a couple of hundred to win on him on the exchange with a view to trading it. And then I took a bunch of win doubles with him, uh, maybe 300 win doubles with players in other tournaments. Anyway, he's leading and he, he goes in the bunker on the 16th hole. Uh, he's leading by, I think, two shots or three shots. Uh, he had two shots in the bunker, double bogey, bogey the next, just got beaten. That one, and I think Dustin Johnson in the US Open at uh, Pebble Beach, uh, well, quite a while ago now, maybe eight or nine years ago. I backed him at 80 to one before the tournament and I backed him a few times during the tournament. He was leading by three strokes, I think, going into the last round and shot 80. Uh, well, we're, we're, fact, we're familiar with EJ shooting 80 these days. <laughs> <laughs> Actually did three in a row recently, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah he's, been, um, he's been my, I don't like to bet on shorter prices. 
Um, but particularly when he was coming up uh, in his mid-20s, I followed him right through from, I think he, he qualified in the last PGA Tour Q School about 2011 or 2012. And I followed him pretty closely. And there are so many tournaments that he should have won or he should have spanked their asses by six <laughs> strokes and just didn't. Yep. So he's been he's been the most frustrating guy for me over the past ten or fifteen years by a long way. Yeah, and you yeah, you also yeah, just mentioned something that I that I meant to ask you about earlier. Um, where is there like a cutoff uh, as far as outright odds where you're just like completely there's no shot, no matter what the no matter what what the software spits out. I am I'm not backing anybody at this price. Is there like is there a, a hard cutoff there? Uh, well, I work to a range. Um, generally speaking, it's 50 to 1 to 250 to 1. Uh, that's my prices. Uh, but my 200 to 1 could be 1,000 to 1 with a bookmaker, so I might look twice at that. Right. Um, for the ladies' events and the seniors, um, it's a, the range is sort of lowered. I'll go down as low as 25 to 1, and I won't really go over about 125 to 1 because there are much fewer people in the ladies' events and the seniors who can win right. as compared right. with, say, Corn Ferry or um, PGA Tour or European Tour. Um, but, yeah, generally I'm, I'm wanting to take guys who are 50 to 1 or longer uh, and where the bookmakers are 7,500 to 1 or longer. Right. And then just to uh, to close out, again, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time tonight over there you know this afternoon for me um if it, i'm sure you see a ton of a ton of betting content uh you know cross your cross your feed and and you know sort of make its way uh in into your into your general area um what's like a, what's a big mistake that you see uh that you see people making uh that you think would be sort of an easy fix <laughs> Well, the immediate thing that sprang to mind is that all of social media is about vanity. Um, so a lot of a lot of what people, at least in the golf sphere, post is is purely about vanity. And there's a lot of a lot of people who will mention or put on the screen twenty players. You know, these are my big bets. These are my long shots. These are my bombs. These are my top tens. My top twenties. So. You know, I, I tend to think that's <clears throat> not driven by a professional gambling approach, but more by a, um, a social media vanity approach. Mm -hmm. So that they can come back online during the tournament or afterwards and say, hey, look, I had that guy in my uh, in my lineup. Um, so, but in terms of mistakes, I think the, the biggest thing that I saw as a manager of betting companies, uh, I've been a CEO of five and I've, professionally consulted to nearly 30. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing I noticed across all sports is the gamblers who go broke the quickest are the ones who uh, spend the most money backing favourites. Um, so I would discourage people from backing favourites in any sport um, and particularly in golf. Uh, in a football match where there's only maybe three outcomes or a horse race where there's, there's eight or ten uh, horses, you compare that with 156 horse field and golf. Right. Um, there's so many different ways the favourites can get beaten. So, just as a general rule of thumb, I'd say 
forget about the favourites. If I can get a guy at uh, 100 to 1 who places, my price is 25 to 1 for him finishing 6th or 4th or 2nd. Um, that's much less of a sweat than uh, Brooks or uh, Rory or JT at 12 to 1 to win right. and, pays and pays twice as much. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, so that's my philosophy and that's why my doubles include all the longer shots. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I just through my process of, you know, just whether it's being a golf fan since I was younger or, uh, you know, now building out these these simulators and these models, you just see how how truly difficult it is for any one golfer to to win, you know, even one tournament, let alone, you know, come from everybody thinking that they're going to win and actually pulling through. So. Uh, I think that's I think that's definitely important. And like cashing a cashing an eleven to one Justin Thomas ticket is not quite as uh, quite as appealing as hitting one of these you know Michael Thompson bombs from last week or something like that. Oh, absolutely! As long as you can be patient enough to wait for the wind to come along. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I bet each way because uh, if the winds don't come along. You can still make enough money just from the place place doubles uh, to keep you going without uh, needing to uh, restock your bidding bank. Yeah, <laughs> which I hate or, doing. I really hate that. Yeah, have, having to uh, having to redeposit or you know uh, yeah. you know sending money to your your eighty year old mother or whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just used a credit card. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, I, I really appreciate your time again. Um, if you are, uh, if you're in the market for, uh, you know, tracking form, especially, I mean, for some of these other tours, um, the information is super hard to come by. Uh, so it's definitely, definitely worthwhile to, uh, check out greensquare.golf, um, and follow Mike on Twitter at smart golf bets. Uh, again, I really appreciate the time, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, Matt, and putting me in uh, such esteemed company as the other two guys you're talking to this week. I've got a lot of respect for both of them. Yeah, it's gonna. It's a. Uh, th this is a good little series. I'm glad I I got these three yeses for sure. Okay, thanks a lot, man. Thanks again, Mike. All the best. See ya.